0: Ryan? I don't know if you noticed the number of children that we had up here for the children's story. When I first came to this church, which by the way was, the end of this month was nine years ago, uh, we only had about four or five children that would come up to the front. And the Lord has really blessed us. That's the life of our church, is our children. And so I'm grateful that we have so many young ones that are here. And I appreciate Ryan practicing all week to play his piece, and we're grateful for that as well, too. The Lord's good, isn't he? Last week I visited with a lot of our visitors that came to our church, and... Uh, Man, the stories that they're telling what's going on in their own churches. Uh, one family there and I've known this family for what probably about 15 years, nice young couple. Their pastor asked them to leave the church because uh, they believed in the three angels message. We're in the shaking. We're in the shaking. And we're seeing these things take place right before our eyes, whether it's with creation and evolution or what's happening within our own churches. Um, God's people, we, we know that that's going to take place. For those of you that are visitors uh, who are not familiar with the Adventist church, we often talk about the shaking. It's the end of time just before Jesus comes in God's last day church. Uh, there will be those that will be shaken out of the church because they're not uh, following God's will. Uh, as we've been looking in the past weeks, we've we've discovered many things. We discovered that the lukewarm church in Revelation chapter three are members of Christ's body, of, of the members of the church, and that they profess to be serving God. and Jesus knows their Christian works within the church itself, and he looks at their works. And they're not living up to his expectations. We've also discovered that according to Revelation 3, that many members of the Last Day Church will be spewed out like vomit out of the body of Christ. So we also learned from last week that we have to take a bold stand. That we are different from the rest of the churches. We are here for a purpose. We have a mission And we are to boldly proclaim our unique last day message to the world. But the other thing is, is that we discovered that most, a lot in our churches, they want to be popular with the other churches. We don't want to look different. So we want to kind of adapt things so that our churches are are comfortable, that they won't Shake the boat of the people who come, the visitors. Do you know what they're discovering in the United States today? The churches that are taking a bold stand for the last day message are filling up. There are visitors that are coming. There are non-Adventists that are coming and they're sitting and they're worshiping and they're saying, we want to hear what the last church in Revelation has to say so it's a powerful message this is not the time to look like the rest of the world this is the time that we must be different but it's our choice whether we're going to do that or not we're either going to be popular and be spewed out or we're going to be unique and share the unique message we want to go to revelation chapter three again we want to look at this same old message but we want to look at it in a little different way Revelation 3, verses 14 through 17 says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Write these things, say the Amen. The faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I think God knew that creation was going to be an issue at the end of time. That's why he adds this. I know your works. Now what I want you to do on this, to make it look a little different, to make it more personal, I want you to put your name in there. It's Jesus speaking directly to us that are living just before Jesus comes and says, for my example, Bob, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you was cold or hot. This will switch over. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth because you say... I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Not everyone, if you tie this with, with Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Remember we looked at one week that uh, the Spirit of Prophecy says that not 1 in 20 would be ready for the second coming of Jesus? If worse now, could be, could be. That's not good odds. And so what we're looking at is that we've got to wake up. And that's why God revealed to me and says, I want you to go back and preach in your church to help them to get ready for the shaking because the shaking is coming and I want my people to stand firm. So that's why we've got to look at this message very carefully. And we have to come to realization that there are many who are in the church that are doing many works within the church. And they're doing good works. The Lord didn't say that they weren't doing good works. He just says, I know your works. And they're doing good works. But he says, even though that they're in there and they're worshiping me and they're calling me Lord, and they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the reason is, they're not doing the will of my Father. Whoa. That's pretty well to the point, don't you think? The context of Matthew 7 suggests that they are very meticulous about doing good deeds, but they're still not doing the will of the Father. Something is missing and let's look and see in revelation 3 verse 17 because you say i'm rich i've become wealthy and i have need of nothing and jesus says you don't even know that you're wretched miserable poor blind and naked and you got to add verse 18 to this because in verse 8 revelation 3 18 Jesus says, I counsel you. Now, he's talking to his last day church. He's giving counsel. Now, anyone that gives counsel, you either accept it or you reject it. It's your choice. But here's the counsel. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So let's kind of tie verses 17 and 18 together. What are you saying in verse 17? The church is saying that they don't have any need of anything, but Jesus says you're wretched, miserable, and poor, so what you need to do is you need to buy gold in order to be rich. He says that the last day church is blind, and so you need to be able to anoint your eyes with the eye salve. And he says you're naked. You don't know it, but you're naked. And you need to buy white garments. So let's narrow this down. Let's look at what's talk about when Jesus says that you're wretched, miserable, and poor. And you need to buy gold from him. In order to see what that's talking about, we need to go to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says in Malachi, who can endure the day of his coming? Who are they talking about, the day of his coming? It's the second coming of Jesus Christ. So he's asking the question: Who's going to endure that time? Who's going to be able to make it through? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire. This is Jesus, like a refiner's fire. Now, the the way this is worded is: It's not when He's coming; He's like the refiner's fire. He's like the refiner's fire before He comes. So he's like a refiner's fire sometime before then. He's like Fuller's soap. I've heard of Fuller's Fuller brush, but he's like Fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. He's trying to refine them so that it will offer to them, they will be an offering of righteousness. Now we've got to narrow this down even more. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. What's the power of God? It's His Holy Spirit. That's the power of God. Who is kept by the power of God through faith for salvation... Ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That's the fire. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this fire that is talked about, that we're going to go through, it is to be able to help us with the genuineness of our faith. It's something you can't fake. It's true faith. And it's going to help us. Now, those fiery trials that we go through is to help to strengthen our faith. So it is our faith in Jesus' righteousness that is going to come through. It's what praises and honors and glorifies God. Because we, we know in Revelation, it says in the last days, that talking about the saints, it says here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the what? Faith of Jesus. The importance of faith that is there. The two have to go together. If I keep the commandments only and, and just say, you know, this is what you've got to look at and that's all I look at, I'm a legalist. If I look at faith only... And say I'm saved just solely by faith and there's nothing else to keep the commandment, or throw the commandments out. I don't have to keep those. Then I'm going with once saved, always saved and, and uh, the in evangelical way of, of life. And that's not right as well. There's got to be a balance. So God's going to help us to balance all this out. That's what he's looking for. And it's our choice whether we want to follow that way. So what is lacking in the lukewarm church? If Jesus says the lukewarm church members need to buy from him gold tried in fire, it's implying that they must be buying this gold from someplace else. They're not buying it from him. They're buying it from somewhere else. They're buying righteousness from some other place. They're relying on a false righteousness instead of the true righteousness by faith. So what am I talking about? We've got to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 16 through 19. It is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your sojourning here in fear. Know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition keep that in mind the gold they're buying is their conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot they were taking the traditions of men and saying this is what is going to save them instead of by faith relying on the precious blood of the sacrificial lamb, which is Jesus. So the lukewarm church accepting or following the traditions or the teachings of men as part of their Christian conduct instead of relying on the faith of Jesus. So what traditions are we talking about? Revelation 17, verse 4. The woman, the church, we're talking about Not God's church, but another church. The woman, the church, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornications. What this is saying is that There are some in God's last days church, in the Laodicean church, that are accepting the ways, the traditions, the teachings. It looks good. It's in a golden cup. It must be from God. She's arrayed in gold. They they, they must be arrayed with, with the teachings of God, accepting these ways from the false church as being a part of their salvation. Beginning to look more in appearance like the false church instead of God's church. Accepting the traditions of the church instead of thus saith the Lord. Revelation 18 verse 16. This is speaking about Babylon. It says, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in what? Fine linen. Look, here is Babylon, the false church again, another name for the false church. It's clothed in fine linen. It's it's clothed in what looks like the righteousness of Christ. But with the fine linen, there's also purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. If gold is relying on the traditions and the teachings of man, then what is the fine linen? Because we've got to look at that. Because Jesus says, the last day church in reality is naked, but what you need to do is to buy from me the white garments. Again, implying that they must be buying from someplace else garments to clothe their nakedness. And so they think, oh, I'm clothed, I'm okay. Go to Zechariah 3 and verse 4. Look at this. Then he answered and he spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. What is he taken off of him? The filthy garments. But I'm wearing my garments. Isn't the garments? Isn't that the righteousness of Christ? I'm wearing the right thing. And he says, no, take it away. But I'm going to give you clothes of rich robes. Rich robes? What's that? Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord... My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness. You see, the lukewarm church believes I'm already dressed in Christ's righteousness. And Jesus says, no you're not. You're naked. Nothing else will do. You are lacking true faith. You have accepted the traditions of men. And you have followed after wrong theology. Wrong theology, the church says. After the flood, God made a covenant with Noah and his family. Genesis 9, verses 11 through 13. Thus, God is speaking, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for you a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So every time they saw that rainbow after a rainstorm, it was a promise of God. They didn't have to open the scripture. It was a promise there. You could see it. God says, I'm never going to destroy this earth with a flood again. A major flood that kills all life out. But we know that later on in the plain of Shinar, which is actually Babylon, people got together and they said, you know what? I don't believe God. What if he does send another flood? I'm not going to be destroyed like my ancestors were. No, I'm going to erect a tower that reaches from this earth and we're going to build it as high as we can. It's going to reach up into heaven, at least get above any flood that can take place on this earth, and I'm going to be saved. I no longer trust God's promises. They were trying to save themselves by the works of their own hands. Lukewarm Christians rely on their own works to make themselves acceptable to God. It won't work. They not only accept the traditions and the teachings of man and try to blend it in with the Christianity, but then they try to say, you know, Lord... I'm going to do this and this and this so that you'll pay attention to me and if I'm good enough, you'll let me in. I have heard church members here say to me, I hope I'm good enough that God will save me. That's the wrong thinking. You'll be shaken out if you have that thinking. The lukewarm Christians were buying fine clothes from Babylon, accepting the traditions of men as God's teachings, adding their own works to that of God's, and saying, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and didn't we perform many good works in your name? Didn't we do all these things? You remember what Jesus said to them? Depart from me. Why? Didn't know me. And I didn't know you. You didn't trust me. You're doing it your own way. So Jesus says in the last days, this is going to happen within my church. The last day church, this is what's going to take place. You're going to think that you've got everything okay. But he says, you know what you really need? Jesus says, you need to buy from me. And you know, those three words, buy from me, those three words is what will shake God's last day church to its very foundation. Because they're not relying upon God, they're relying upon self and the teaching of men and everything else, thinking, I'm okay, and they don't really have faith in the promises that God has in His Holy Word. Righteousness comes by faith in Christ, not by my own works. Isaiah 55, verse 1, Everyone who thirsts come to the waters, and who have no money come and buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus is saying, when you come and buy for me, you know what? It's going to be different than the rest of the world because it's free. I'll give you what you need so you won't be shaken out of the church. I'll clothe you. I'll refine you. I'll even help your eyesight. Accept my righteousness. It's a free gift. But the lukewarm church says, oh, you're not talking to me. I'm okay. I'm already saved. Look at all the good things that I'm doing in the church. But Jesus says, you don't even know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You you don't have the righteousness of Christ. You're wearing something else. You're just as naked as Adam and Eve were after they sinned. When they sinned, they looked at themselves and they said, oh, I'm naked. What am I going to do about it? I know. Let's make aprons made of fig leaves cover up our naked. God will never know. And so they covered it with their own robes didn't work. Without a robe of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, nothing else will do. We can't make it. Wearing a robe of our own making, trying to save ourselves, accepting as the truth the ways of man, relying upon our own works to do things, just will not do it. It's trying to cover things up with my own apron isaiah 64 verse 6 but we're all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags we all fade as a leaf you cover yourself with your own making your own leaf that leaf's going to fade away deteriorate and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away so what do i need Revelation three seventeen and 18 says you're blind. Jesus says you're blind. But what you need is you need to anoint your eyes with eye salve. If gold represents total faith in being clothed with Christ's righteousness, eye salve must be the cure. So what is the eye salve? Revelation 5, verse 6. I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne... And of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Who's the lamb? That's Christ. Okay. As though it had been slain. All right? Look at this lamb. Funny looking lamb. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Seven in the Bible means perfection. Perfection. When God saw that he had created in six days, he had created everything. He created the seventh day, said it was all good. The seventh day was the day to worship. It's the perfection day. It's a day of worship. Seven is perfection. The seven eyes are seven spirits. It's talking about the perfect spirit of Christ is available to the entire earth. It's the Holy Spirit is the eye salve that helps us to realize i am blind i am naked i am poor i am miserable and here all along i thought i thought i was saved so this is the secret to heal a blind church seek the perfect holy spirit not men what they're teaching not What I am doing. But it's to seek the perfect one, which is the Spirit of Christ that has promised to come in. Is it necessary? Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. A Pharisee, you know who the Pharisees were? They were the religious people of that day. They were the good church members. They did a lot of good things. The tax collectors, uh, that's the IRS. They're a bunch of bums, they don't know anything. I said that one time in a church and I didn't realize we had a member that was an IRS man, so I gotta be careful. But they they were a disgrace back in those days. Luke 18, verses ten through fourteen, look what happens. Two men went up to the temple to pray. So here are the two men in the church. One a Pharisee, the religious guy that does all the good things, and the other a tax collector. All right? So the Pharisee stood and he prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not a bad person. I'm not an extortionist. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even the tax collector. I'm good. I'm good in your church, I'm dedicated to you. I do all these good things. He's saying, I'm glad I'm I'm in need of nothing at all. I'm good and I'm righteous. I'm saved. Why is he saying that? He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Lord, you got to notice me because I am really meticulous about what I do in the church. I'm righteous because of what I do. Now, the tax collector in the same church is praying, and the tax collector is standing off, wouldn't raise his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. His eyes were open. He wasn't blind. He looked at himself and he says, I missed the mark. I might do some good things at times, but it isn't good enough in God's eyesight. I'm just a sinner. On my own, I'm lost. He realizes his efforts are not good enough and he's seeking help by prayer. And guess what comes when you have that attitude? The power of the Holy Spirit has come. That's when the Holy Spirit does His best work. Because I give up, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. Look what Jesus said about that man, about the tax collector. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Justified by his own works? No, I'm a sinner. How is he justified? by faith that I can't change but there is a God in heaven that I accept as my only righteousness He a God in heaven is the only answer for my ailments so this man went down to his house justified rather than the other the religious man who sat there and says man I'm, look what I'm doing For everyone who exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The unshaken follower will forsake the ways of the world. Will forsake his own good efforts in order to be recognized by God. Because it's still not good enough. And will seek help from the Spirit of God. The perfect Spirit of God. But how do I get that perfect Spirit of God to help me? You know, we sometimes talk about praying for the latter rain. Do you know that there has to be something else that has to take place before the latter rain? A lot of times we and we we've done it here. We sat there and we had this program where we went and we met together and we were praying for the latter rain. But I tell you something: there's something else that has to take place, and that's what we're going to learn in the coming weeks. We're going to learn how to pray for the Holy Spirit that will spare us from the shaking before the latter rain. Without the perfect Spirit of Christ, we're going to be spewed out of the body of Christ. But before we can learn about that, we've got to come to a point where I have to have my eyes open and realize that I'm blind, I'm poor, I'm naked. I'm not righteous. My righteousness is in Jesus. My faith is in him. I need the spirit of Christ. Let's take our hymnals and turn to hymn number 326. 326. Shall we stand and we sing?
1: of truth that has for me place in my hands a wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free silently now I wait for thee ready my God thy will to see Open my eyes, illumine me, Spirit divine. Open my ears that I may hear, Voices of truth thou sendest clear, And while the wave notes fall on my ear, Everything false will disappear. Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my ears, illumine me, Spirit. my mouth and let me bear gladly the warm truth everywhere open my heart and let me prepare love thy children thus to share silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my heart, illumine me, Spirit divine.
0: Our gracious God in heaven, it's not what we do, it's what Jesus has done for us. Our faith and our trust must be solely in him to be led by the spirit to do your will. Forgive us if we are blind to what we really are. Forgive us if we have reached out and accepted the linen and the teachings of the world and tried to incorporate it within our church. It is your word that will triumph, not the teachings of man. Forgive us. When we rely upon what the other world is is seeking and doing and saying, oh, Lord, we want to have that. Because your way is the impossible way to go. It's it's just not fulfilling. Eternal life is in your way and your way only. Lord, clothe us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Put the eye salve of the Holy Spirit within our eyes as we humbly come before you saying, Lord, We are sinners, and we need help. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of that spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.